Welcome podcast listeners. We're glad to have you here for another sermon. Uh, This week we are in the fifth Sunday of the Epiphany and we're looking at the lectionary text of Isaiah. It's a famous passage on comfort and I hope this brings comfort to you. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? These are inquiries that are used twice in today's reading. The use of hearing and knowing has been used throughout the book of Isaiah. At first we hear and know that judgment may be coming. The first 39 chapters were written for a people that lived eight centuries before Jesus was even born. It was about a coming destruction from the Assyrians and the northern kingdom of Israel was overrun by them. We fast forward in chapter 40, today's reading, as we move beyond the Assyrian empire who were replaced by the Babylonians. The southern kingdom of Judah withstood the Assyrians but not the Babylonians. The people of Judah were carried off to Babylon in exile. Now after living there almost 50 years, they're going to be allowed to return to their home. Let us hear Isaiah's good word to us today from chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Living Lord, we have traveled far, and yet we haven't gone anywhere. We know what it is to be weary. As we tell our own stories lately, we hear ourselves speak of being exhausted. Let us know anew our faith through Isaiah's powerful words. Let us hear again of your sustaining love which wipes away any fears of tomorrow. As we meditate on your word once more, may understanding lead to soaring. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Isaiah's words come to me as I consider what we've been through. It feels quite similar to exile. Oh, I recognize we've got it pretty easy compared to previous generations. I'm in exile with virtually any movie or TV show I want to watch. (laughs) I'm isolated, but I'm not hungry. 
I even have ways to communicate where I can both see and hear friends and family members in real time. So yes, sometimes I may sound a little spoiled when I speak of exile. And yet, and yet any time we undergo change, we feel the sense of loss. Even when changes are for the better, we may grieve just a little bit of how it was. And so how in the midst of these changes do I know God? Is God the author of my misery? Have I deserved what I've received through all these changes? Or is God the sustainer of my strength when I'm in need? If we primarily know God as one or the other, author of misery or sustainer of strength, it allows us to see how our faith may or may not be a help in times of trouble. As I continue in Peter Steinke's book, Uproar, he speaks about how we know things. Science tells us that the right and left hemispheres of our brains have different functions. The right lobe is the place for receiving that which is novel, strange, and unfamiliar. The left lobe is about routine, the storage of known facts and experiences. So as we learn, it begins in the right lobe. As we're faced with new experiences, right lobe. As we deal with change in our lives, right lobe. Now here's an interesting fact. Steinke says the right hemisphere is the location of the negative emotions of fear, disgust, and anger. When dealing with the new and unknown, it is easier to be apprehensive, distraught, or frustrated about it. If you don't believe this, just read some of Tim's fan mail when he asks us to sing a new hymn that we don't know. Huh. Well, that may explain our anxiety of late, because it's all been different. God is the sustainer of life, the author not of our misery, but of our salvation. Isaiah describes God as sitting above us and seeing us like grasshoppers. We may not be as significant as we like to think, but then Isaiah tells us that the princes and rulers of the earth are not that big a deal either. Compared to God, they are very temporary. So during this pandemic, I have to ask myself, have I given too much power to the rulers of this earth? Now, I don't mean that we should ignore laws and rules of the land, but rather, have I attached too much significance to what is going on in Washington, D.C.? Have I attached too much significance to what is going on in Oklahoma City at the Capitol? Now, I realize that how leaders respond to crises, that does make a difference. But what I'm asking is, have I made them too significant in my life compared to God's place in my life? Do I see them in their proper place in relation to God? Presidents, governors, congressmen, and women come and go. Policies come and go. But what is eternal? How do I know God? Really know God? I like how Perkins Theology School professor Charles Aaron says, Within these verses, the prophet paints a picture of a creative, strong, above-the-fray deity. God is transcendent and other enough that people seem like insects. The heavens form God's tent, suggesting that God acted creatively and feels at home in the creation. The creation is God's abode. In other words, this is God's house. We know God is a creative, sustaining God who is the author of life. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? How do we hear God? Are you more likely to hear words of judgment from God or words of grace calling you to new life? If we hear words of judgment, we really believe that we deserve the exile we find ourselves in. In fact, we are probably never going back to Jerusalem, even though we have the freedom to do so. Some Jews likely said, no, I'm not going home. It's not really my home. 
I was born in Babylon. This is what I know. I'll just stay here. And we say, how can you not go back? We might ask ourselves the same question when the time comes to return to church. This is because the people of God were not necessarily moving back home. And what I mean is that most of them had been born in this foreign land. Babylon wasn't so foreign to them. In fact, as odd as it sounds, the foreign land for them would be Jerusalem. So as we think about getting back to church, we must also realize that things are not going to be exactly the same. When we reopen, we'll have to adjust to the new and different. It is not moving back, but moving forward. And that's a universal truth. We're always moving forward. That's not a bad thing because we hear God's footsteps. God is right beside us. It's going to be okay. We'll know joy again, but we'll be more likely to find it if we hear God's words of grace rather than God's words of judgment. What's keeping you from being happy? If your answer to that question is some external event or person, you may need to reevaluate happiness because there will always be an event or a person. Today, one of the changes we see in society is that we are trying to see diversity as a good thing. Some of us, I realize, find this more difficult. The older you are, the more difficult it is, simply because of how you absorb the norm of how things are in society. But in our hearts, we know that God loves everyone. In our hearts, we know that all people are created equal. Spencer Perkins, who is white, stopped at a McDonald's in Florida and he got a Happy Meal for his five-year-old daughter. They got a white Barbie, which she already had, so they exchanged it for a black one. The black girl taking their order seemed delighted that they wanted a black doll. He asked her how many kids requested black Barbies. She lowered her voice almost to a whisper. No white kids ever asked for the black Barbie, she said with her lower lip quivering. In fact, I've seen several kids cry if a black doll ends up in their meal. It was obvious that this subtle rejection hurt her, but she cleared her throat, forced a smile, and politely asked the next person in line, may I take your order, please? What does it mean to go home? And what does home look like in God's kingdom? What would it be like for these exiles to go back? Most had never been to Jerusalem before, and so Fuller Seminary professor Christopher B. Hayes points out that this beloved message of comfort in Isaiah about even the young people growing weary and fainting may have been directed not at the middle-aged or the young, but at the senior citizens among them. These older adults would have been the only ones to have ever been to Judah before. They were the keepers of the stories of God, and this trip would not have been easy on them. So Isaiah is reminding them that even young people get tired. And who is it that will go with us? Who will comfort us and allow us to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint? It is God Almighty who is and who was and who always will be. The book of Ezra records the restoration of the temple and talks about those older people who got to see it rebuilt after 50 years. Chapter 3, verse 12 says, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? If I do know, and if I have heard, how do I follow God during times of great change? Do I do so with trust or with anxiety? 
This reminds me of the joke where the pastor has the children gathered around him, and during the children's sermon, he's describing something to them as an object lesson, and he wants their response. He says, this is something that lives in a tree and eats nuts. No hands went up. It is gray and has a bushy tail. Still no hands. It chatters at you and sometimes drops acorns down at you. Finally, one child tentatively raises his hand and the relieved pastor calls on him. He says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. We know that we're supposed to follow God with trust, but we sure are anxious a lot of the time. When I was 12 years old, I spent a lot of time in the hospital for various surgeries trying to repair my shredded Achilles tendon that I tore up in a motorcycle accident. When I faced surgery, I wasn't that worried. I didn't imagine that this was something that God did to me for any of my various sins. I just figured that the accident was my own dumb fault. But God was with me in that hospital. God helped me through the nurses and the doctors caring for me. God helped me through the other boys that shared the room with me, some of which had much bigger health problems than I did. I knew that I would get better. It was only a matter of time. God never left me and I was stronger for the ordeal. I knew fundamentally, this is not my end. God's got more work for me to do. Do you hear that word, church? How do we trust God in our lives? Fred Craddock tells a story of growing up with a neighbor named Mr. Cook. He said that Mr. Cook was a hateful man, and he killed their dog. He said, our dog was named Dempsey after the prize fighter Jack Dempsey. He was just a dog, but he was our dog, and he went with us everywhere, and Mr. Cook killed him. When our father came in one evening before dinner, I said to him, Mr. Cook killed Dempsey. My father didn't even stay in the house for supper. He went down the road, and the five of us kids were saying, Go get him! Go get him, Daddy! My mother was in the kitchen crying and praying. Father was gone a long time, and my mother was very worried. When Daddy came back, he had blood on his shirt, and we wanted to know what happened. He said, I never knew that Mr. Cook was an epileptic. What? He's an epileptic? I went down there to let him have it, and he was on the porch in a seizure, chewing his tongue and his mouth was bleeding. I got my hand in his mouth, got him free of chewing his tongue, and I took him in the house and cared for him until he is able to get up and sit in a chair. That's where I got the blood. Fred said, well, now that he's feeling better, you going to go down there and beat him up? And he said, no, that seems strange. He killed Dempsey. Sometimes our trust of God comes through experience, and sometimes the ex these experiences are trying. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Even the young will faint and be weary, falling exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're headed into the future, and God's going with us every step of the way. Amen.